guys. Welcome to Slash Report. I'm Peru, and this week I'm joined by MK. Hello, my partner in crime. Hi. Um, we're also joined by Mayor. Hello. Hello. And Lucas. Hey there. So this week, <laughs> guys, guys, what are we talking about here? <laughs> are you trying to, like, beatbox? I was about to say, I want to start singing Hooked on a Feeling, but, you know. Good chocolate. Good chocolate. We're not allowed to sing. Guardians of the Galaxy. Just let's say, next time we're in the same city, we'll go karaoke. Gus, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. Really? I love going karaoke. Crew and I will sit that one out. Oh, yeah. you're not invited. No, no. Go away. I was about to say, um, let, let's just down. You and crew were not invited. No, you're <laughs> absolutely not invited. Oh, no. However, will I survive? Okay, guys. But let's, <laughs> anyway. let's focus. Let's focus. Let's talk about guardians, specifically people who are guardians of the galaxy. So, um, everyone listening to this podcast should be, um, should be fully aware that this is going to be incredibly spoiler heavy from beginning to end. So if you haven't seen the movie yet and somehow Tumblr has not spoiled the shit out of it for you, just end it. Just hit the stop button until you've actually had a chance to watch the film first. Um, that was your padding. You're now in a spoiler unsafe zone. Folks, what did we think about this movie? Loved it. Same. It was so much fun. It was so it much was fun. really so much fun. <laughs> We were it like, was a lot of fun. I have almost forgotten it entirely because it was that kind of movie for me. It was like, really? oh, yeah. It was. It was just. A, I mean, it was. It was very much kind of Star Trek uh, into darkness in that a lot of explosions, a lot of shiny things, a lot of humor, and really enjoyable. And did not leave much of an impression. What? I think you're just wrong. <laughs> I'm very possibly wrong, but I mean, I'll probably. I'll, I would happily watch it again. But <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm gonna give a really quick overview. No one is allowed to interrupt me. Um, we start off our movie with Peter Quill when he is about what eight years old or something. Yeah, uh, on Earth in the 80s in the U um, in America, he has this mixtape that his mom has made him. She's dying like very very sadly of. It probably is cancer, given that um, she's very bald, probably from treatments. He, um, on the night that she dies, is abducted by aliens. <laughs> and then we fast forward many years, and he is now sort of like a charming, lovable rogue slash thief slash bounty hunter, whatever, something of that nature. He's, just, he's not a bounty hunter, he's just a rogue. He's just thief. a rogue, fine. So he's slash digging thief. around the universe and um, because he's searching for one particular orb, a.k.a. our major MacGuffin for the movie, um, he gets wrapped up with this lovable crew of, like, total weirdos and losers, including um, Gamora, who is a assassin raised by our big bad, Drax, uh, who has no concept of metaphor um, but who is a brute and whose uh, family died as a result of our big bad. We have um, Rocket Raccoon, who is a genetically modified raccoon who has anger management issues and is my favorite character in the whole fucking movie. Um, and uh, Groot, who is everybody's favorite character in the history of time. He is a giant tree, and all he says is, I am Groot. Um, these idiots save the universe, and it is super delightful the entire time <laughs> i think it is fair to say yes yeah good summary 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think the thing that I find really interesting about this, like, I had no idea that this narrative was going on, but apparently it was, where when Marvel was prepping this film, like, the whole conversation going was, like, was Guardians of the Galaxy going to be a major flop and thus break the Marvel streak because it's a relatively unknown property? And I have to admit that, like, prior to the trailers with, like, um, that dude saying like, what a bunch of a-holes came out. I'd never heard of this before. And it sounded absolutely absurd, but mm-hmm. I never for a minute did I think that I wasn't going to go see this movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I didn't think I was going to go see it until I saw the trailer and I saw Chris Pratt being incredibly charming, uh, as he kind of always is. Um, and, uh, seeing some of the, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for flashy visual effects. Uh, I will admit and um, and also the soundtrack of uh, you know Rocky Raccoon firing a submachine gun. Rocky, uh, Rocky. That's true. Sorry. <laughs> yes, I, I I can tell you this movie made such an impression on me. Um, under under the soundtrack of Hooked on a Feeling, and I was just like, all right, well, I'm going to go see this because <laughs> this is very you know this is quite hilarious. This and is really it is fun. Yes. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's hella fun. <laughs> It's hella fun? Yeah, it's hella fun. <laughs> yes. Well, and what I seem to feel very strongly about this. <laughs> yes. What really? I what I think I think um speaking to that though, I feel like in this case, um nobody really like Guardians of the Galaxy is not a very popular was never really like big blockbuster Marvel title. Um so I think most people watching it are just like the just like the four of us are not did not go into it with um, a, any sort of preconceived notion about who these characters were or what this movie was going to be like. And so I think it can't, has an advantage of being part of the Marvel franchise and having that brand on it. But um, without the expectation um, that's sort of attached to many of the other Marvel, um, you know, character movies at this point. So you could sort of go in, not really expect like anything in particular, and then you walked away delighted and um, probably wanting a dancing Groot pot plant for your home. <laughs> yes, who doesn't yes. want that? Uh, everybody. I have to say, I did. I mean, I I did like the movie, but that was that was the best scene for me. It, it's just, literally just, it's still the best part of that. Yeah, with my hands over my mouth, like. <laughs> Yeah, like, honestly, I feel like if Marvel was smart, I was saying this, if they had had a table of people selling dancing groots outside, outside the theater. theater when I left, I would have been like, here, I already paid, like, $15 plus service fees to see this, but please take yet more of my money. I need one of those right now um, so I can go home and already have this in my house. Thank you, Marvel. Yeah, more. pretty much. I mean, like, I, someone said that you can buy those now. I haven't found one. And, like, I am so, like, I'm actually fairly crafty. Like, I'm so fucking close to just making one. Somebody already yeah. made one. I don't know if you can yeah. buy them, but somebody definitely somebody, made one. Somebody has made them it. and, like, done mock-ups of them, but you, they're not actually commercially available. Yeah, I know. Like, I'm really not close yet. to going to buy some, like, model magic and, like, making this shit reality. I was gonna say, that was, like, a marketing disaster. The like, whoever in their marketing department was not, like, Guys, we need dancing group toys available immediately. Like fire whoever did not come up with that. Right. I mean it's it's kind of a huge spoiler, so I can understand why they said no. You just released them like the Tuesday after the movie comes out at comic book stores near you. Tuesday's release day anyway. No. 
have to do at least a month or two after. It's that's that's, that's fair. I'm totally willing to wait a month, but I like I need that sooner rather than later because it's been a really long time since I've had to like go buy things that are meant for children and then rip them up so that I can make them something I want for myself. And I don't want to have to re-enter that period of my life. Like I'm no longer an art student. Good. Um, yeah. We're grownups. I think that is really interesting to talk about, right. Is how, like, I think that we all left this movie feeling. I think that we all left this movie thinking that the characters were really interesting. The interactions were really interesting. How weird is it that two of those characters were full CGI the entire time? It was a little weird, but I mean, I don't think it's that weird. Like, the more CGI we have in stuff now, I'm like, yep, legit, normal, totally, whatever. I've been waiting for this since Reboot was on television. Yeah, uh, Reboot was the greatest show, side note. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. High five, MK. Thanks. Um, But I think, yeah, motion capture, voice performance, like that combo of a CGI character in a movie, I think we've come so far, um, largely on the shoulders of Andy Serkis, um, it must be admitted. But, um, (laughs) yes, I think think both of those characters um, were rendered really well. Um, Whatever you think of Bradley Cooper, I thought he was a very good choice for doing the voice of Rocket. I have to say, he was fucking brilliant. He was, he was really, really hilarious. They were normally- I, I, I firmly, firmly believe that Vin Diesel was better. Like, seriously, he had one line. But apparently they had, they, they, um, the director or the writer of the, of the movie, like, wrote down all of the things that I Am Brute meant. Right, the so that he could, the he could say them. Like that. He could perform them according yeah. to... Plus, and this like, rolled up on the at, on, at the movie premiere in stilts because he wanted to with be with a Groot T-shirt because he's a delightful human. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> delightful, delightful. He's, he's the most delightful. Human. I love Vin Diesel so much. I love his nerdiness. I love that like he was probably so excited to be in this because he's such a nerd. Versus, yeah. I kind of hate Bradley Cooper, and I liked him in this. <laughs> he was he was really well well done. I think also yeah. one thing I, I will say in terms of. Um, all of the characters. One thing that I thought was interesting is um, that all all of the Guardians of the Galaxy, all five of them, um, as comic book characters tend to do, have these angsty backstories to them and reasons for why they ultimately end up, um, you know, being superheroes. And, you know, like the Batman, my parents are dead origin story, essentially. And um, there, are, all of these things are sort of alluded to in the film. Like, you know, that Rocket was the result of, uh, you know, um, genetic manipulation. He has, you know, those, you see that scene where you see all like the, the metal um, parts of his back. And, you know, that um, Groot really, you know, it's just whatever. But um, and that Drax's family was all killed by Thanos. And that Gamora, her family was also killed by Thanos. And then she was raised as his daughter and, you know, cyborg implant, body modification assassin. And um, Peter, you know, his mother um, died and then he was abducted um, to, you know, alien life forms and whatever. And except for Peter, who was, of course, the hero of our story. So I guess you had to show all of this. Um, these are the things that the sort of movie mentions, but then it very quickly sort of gets on with the, as, uh, Brad, as Rocket says, you know, everyone has dead people, but you know, we still have shit we have to do. Um, and it's not an excuse for being an asshole and it's not an excuse for like not doing, you know, the right thing ultimately in the end. And, um, I think that is sort of, that was an interesting kind of perspective on the comic book sort of film for me because I appreciated that, you know, they still had had these, these backstories, but the movie wasn't wallowing in it and it wasn't, you know, using that as a reason for them, you know, 
doing shitty things to people or like being jerks or whatever or you know they're they're really good at their job but they have this ABC story so that excuses them being jerk you know like that kind of um narrative which is very common right now and uh, i appreciate the movie sort of had that but then also was like but we have other shit to do and you know this movie the tone of it was not such that it was going to you know wallow in that for you yeah, I actually think that this movie to me read the most. I don't even. I don't even know if this makes sense, right? They read the most comic booky of all the yes. Marvel movies to date. Because if you actually read comic books, and I'm like a recent um, reader of comics, so like a lot of the things that have become very like, you know, ordinary to people who are longtime readers are still like I'm discovering. But one of the narr- one of the things that I find narratively unsatisfying about comic books is because the medium has a tendency to like be like to very much, even despite the fact that it's a visual medium, very, it's a very show, it's a very tell, not show medium where people are always having these like fucking ridiculous dialogue things where like you really quickly establish something so they can get on to like the actual boom, pow, like whatever interesting parts of the, um, the comic book you want to establish. So the very quick rundown of like, what happened to like A, B, C, D, E, F character so that they can now be a team and like go do a thing and um, a certain level of previously on Superman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, like, and I think that it actually works much in a weird way. Like the fact that I, I don't like that in the comic book format, but it works much better in the film format because there's a lot more context like that you can read around it just between like the acting and the audio and like the larger sort of wide angle lens you get on their universe. So, I mean, like I think that the Batman, like the Nolan Batman movies are kind of like the ultimate like opposite of this where all you're ever doing is like wallowing in like the miserable backstory of like Bruce Wayne Mm -hmm. so I mean like I totally loved this version of it um because like I don't care about your man pain I don't want to watch like three movies about it exactly and and I will say I I do think that even it focused a lot more I think almost you sort of felt like it because it had to um on like Peter and his mom and that entire thing and I felt like that there were that was like the more like unconvincing part of it for me of the, all of them and their, their stories, like the opening scene, you were sort of like, okay, what's going on here. And, um, the, the bit at the end where the whole, like, take my hand thing, I was like, okay, you just (laughs) overdid that one just a little bit. Like the mixtape was a perfectly used device. Um, and the soundtrack was so kind of important to the sense of fun and like, uh, weird retro freshness that it brought to the entire thing. But, um, all the scenes like directly dealing with like his mom and like sort of the opening and like the take my hand bit were a little bit like, you kind of felt like, well, you had to do this because he's this hero. So he needs the origin story. And, you know, it didn't actually feel like it was as necessary, um, to the movie. And whereas the rest of them, you just sort of like got a glimpse of it. And then you sort of can infer that for yourself. And it definitely informed their characters. And there were moments of pathos related to that. Like when Rocket gets drunk and angry and starts trying to kill Drax and like, you know, because he's like, you know, feels like a fucked up piece of garbage because of everything that's been done to him. But like, it wasn't, it doesn't get played as like, you know, angst and misery. It's more like this raccoon is like angry and drunk and trying to kill you. And there's something very hilarious about that. Even if it comes from a place of, you know, awfulness. I also think that like very much, and this is just me, right? So like this movie, um, if you've seen it, then you know that like, if you haven't seen it, like seriously turn this off, you should really watch it. Um, 
if you've seen it, then you know that there are two major points during the film where you like fucking cry, right? Like always like for, I think it's like a new pattern, right? In superhero movies or sort of these epic ones where you open the movie with a scene that like breaks your heart, like a la the, the Star Trek reboot movie. Uh, I feel so, like, I feel like, like, again, like the Peter Quill opener was sort of trying to do that and yeah. didn't, it didn't succeed in my opinion. I can talk a long time as to why it fucking failed, but yeah, I, 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 I yeah. Really overreached in that. And I think it because, because it didn't earn it, right? Like they tried really hard with that short piece to make you feel really miserable and unhappy and sort of like play on your feelings. But like, I feel like that opening would have been much stronger if we hadn't had like the sappiness of it. And we had just seen like Peter with his mixed tape um, and then Peter getting abducted. Right. Cause like the sadness of that, like, you don't, you don't necessarily need to build it up to a satisfying version of that. Right. Yeah. Um, but then I think the, the second big cry in the movie is so earned, like in terms Oops. of the characters, like I, I was telling, I was telling, I went out to dinner last night with a couple of my friends um, and they were asking like immediately, as soon as we sat down, they were like, so how much did you cry at Guardians of the Galaxy? So I'm fairly infamous for crying at the drop of a hat during movies. And like, as Mara can attest, because she was sitting next to me in the theater, I was not even like just sobbing during the scene where Groot says, we are Groot. I had like, we did not prepare to cry during this movie. No, we didn't no have tissues. We didn't have extra napkins. <laughs> I was like digging out popcorn butter soaked napkins and like machine gun sobbing into the <laughs> Straight up wailing. It was real bad. <laughs> it was really touching, though. Like, I think everyone in the theater was crying at that point. Like, it's one of those things where, like, sometimes I go to a movie and you can tell that people are reacting differently to different scenes. But in this movie, it was almost like a hive mind. Like, everyone in that goddamn theater, except for the one lady who turned her cell phone on and was, like, the blinding screen in a corner until somebody told her to turn that the fuck off. Everyone was on the same wavelength, like, laughing or crying or being like, <gasps> like, yeah. exactly the same time, all together, really feeding off of each other's emotions. And that's one of the things I like about seeing movies in theaters. Yeah, no, the, there was definitely a shared experience. And I think I think the reason why <clears throat> I think Groot as a character works, because, like, everyone, as the trailer attests, that the Guardians of the Galaxy are a bunch of, like, a-holes. And they're all, like, jerks. They all, none of them are really in it for, like, the right reasons. They're not here to, like, they don't start off wanting to save the planet or anything. Everyone's after their own particular interest. And um, we're, and you can say that about all the other four of them. And Groot is just sort of, like, the adorable golden retriever of the family who can also, like, murder the fuck out of, like, an entire hallway full of bad guys by impaling them with his, like, growing tree branch. Um but he's really still the golden retriever of the family. And yeah. And I was, I was like weirdly insulted by that. Like, I, I, I don't know why, but like for some reason, I'm like, Groot is no. Like, yeah. I feel like, but you know, he definitely has a sort of like, you know, I'm going to stick my head in the fountain and like, and like whatever. I don't know. He, he's, he kind of has like, I just mean sort not, of like the pure of heartness. Not like, mentally. Elaborate, no, but like but. the adorable pure of heartness and like the, the wanting to like protect people kind of thing and I don't know but he's also kind of a murder dog as well but whatever <laughs> I don't know <laughs> he's the best what I'm saying what I'm saying is basically that everyone else is sort of definitely like sarcastic and assholey and he's just sort of has a very pure like genuineness to him that there's a lot of humor in it in terms of him just sort of being like I'm gonna go do my thing while everyone's over here and 
Um, and him sort of ultimately being like the emotional underpinning of this found family coming together and making sacrifices for like doing the right thing in order to save the world. Like that is like the emotional like linchpin of the entire thing. Well, and it works say- because of his character in a way that it wouldn't if any of the rest of them had done it. And so it's, it's kind of like cheap and manipulative, but I didn't really care. I'm still crying. No, it totally was. It totally was. <laughs> He's also like, the most straightforward, right? Like just that scene yeah. where um, Rocket is talking about how he needs the thing inside the yellow box or whatever. And he just goes and like goes and gets like, it. Right, and like, let's, you know, let's do this. He makes he makes a flower grow out of his hand and gives it to a small child. Like, how cheap is that? I don't care. That was adorable. He has fireflies that grow out of his hand. Like, how cheap is that? I don't care. That's beautiful and touching. Like, everything about it was so like kind of like obvious, but like I didn't care. I didn't care. That everything is the most important tree beautiful. that has ever lived, protecting <laughs> it on us. Yeah, the best treat. I also he had, is the best treat. Even now, I'm talking about it, and I'm getting a little like choked up in my heart about how good a treat he is. I was gonna say, I feel like a lot of this, and I'm I'm gonna get on my Miss Andrew box a little bit, but I this is one of the first. Uh, I think this is the first Marvel movie that was written at least in part by a woman, and I think some of that shows in that there is a little bit of these kind of emotion purely emotional beats and i don't think it's that they're obvious i think that it's that it's that they're there um that i really i really like about that about well, them I, I have to say like i have to kind of like throw cold water on that like the problem with well, the whole like <laughs> no, no, no no like and i'm i'm saying from like a literal like film reality point of view like the problem with that argument it's been going around where people are like oh my god i'm so excited this like woman was the first like marvel like writer blah 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 the problem is that the original script that she turned in is not at all what ended up on the screen. Like, oh, oh. so it, and not even to the extent that like most movie scripts are made over, like it was completely redone. Like every single thing about this film is more James Gunn than it was. Like, I don't know the woman, it's Nicole something, right? Yes. Um, well, you can tell that there are moments where I was like, okay, this part seems like it was written by a lady and then it would like jump and I'd be like, that's a dude. Dude wrote that part. I couldn't, I would never make that claim because I don't think you can, I don't think you can tell like in individual pieces like that in broad strokes maybe, but I'm, and, and, and that's fine that you don't think you can tell. I think I can. I, I mean, okay. But I, I think that like those agree to disagree moments. Yeah. Forever. Um, I think that, I think that that's like an interesting sort of discussion that's been ongoing regarding whether or not this movie like, feminist or not, or sexist, or... Like, or whether or not, like, anything <clears throat> is different because, like, the one of the writers was female, like, whether or not this movie is, like, sexist or whatever because of... I think Gamora is, like, an interesting character that we should get into. Um, but I don't know. I'm, like, very torn on that, right? Because, like, I... Given what I've read about the way that this movie, like, went through in development, like, I'm very hesitant to say, like, I... I I would have to know what the original draft looked like because from what I can tell, like it was completely redone, like when James Gunn picked up the project. Okay. And from what I've heard, it's, it was not as redone as all that. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but yes, that actually now that let's, let's jump into Gamora. Yes. We'll, we'll circle back to Groot, I'm sure later, but like, um, let's talk all about Gamora. And Groot. <laughs> Groot forever. Um, yeah. I thought that Gamora was, 
interesting but also weird right so like she lived up to the promise of her character in every scene except for that original one where she's trying to get the orb from him because she's supposed to be one of the most dangerous assassins in the universe and yet somehow like she gets into this like really dumb like slapstick thing with all of the guardians that gets them arrested on nova right yeah yeah, that was, like, the only part that really rang weirdly for me, and I totally understood that they needed to get them all in prison together, but I was just like, she's, like, probably a little bit more badass than these idiots are. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I really assumed for a long period of time that, it, that that everything that was happening was intentional on her part, that she was, like, masterminding something, and at the mm-hmm. end when it was just like, oh, no, she's just, little, and I was like, oh, I, all right, I, okay. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah, because that seems so weird. Well, yeah, I feel like what the intention, I think, least I would think would be that she goes to get the orb and then she basically gets like her her foot gets stuck like in the bear trap of the idiocy of Peter and Rocket and Groot and this like dumb tangle of like assholes. And she's like, motherfucker. And <laughs> she gets like in prison because of these dumbasses, essentially. Um, <laughs> I know her. Yeah. During that whole period. Which is, and that was still, like, ultimately, like, my read on it. Like, the the opening scene didn't actually bother me that much in terms of that. I think her her character doesn't ultimately get, like, the same sort of development or, like, moment that the rest of them do, kind of. And, which was a bit frustrating for me. I don't know. I thought that she had that moment, like, like, I think that part of the reason I, I really enjoyed Gamora in this movie, and I think the reason I really loved her is because sort of, like, see if you guys agree with me, the underlying character thing about her is about the way that, like, um, and I'm probably reading way too much into this, um, that she survived in the most absurd of circumstances that, like, unlike someone who would like die for their principles she did the she did the stronger and braver thing like she bent so that she could live um like she was raised by this monster and she did what she had to so she could live and that even in those contexts like she grew to like love her sister you know like nebula and in the end when she's trying to save her like nebula doesn't like roll the way that she does because she's like she's not a strong enough person to have lived through that and still be still have the capacity for that, right? And I, I love and that. Still, fact. like, make the moral, the right moral choice, or even yeah. the ability to perceive yeah. that there is an option to make a different choice yeah. and to do it. Um, no, I agree. And I think like the two, the two lines I feel like that are sort of like the the sort of defining moments, at least for like her characters, when she's like, whatever, like I'm, I'm not going to do it exactly verbatim. Like whatever is ahead of me is like dreams compared to the nightmares I've already lived through. And she's yeah. a very sort of matter of factly. And it, it's it's a bit chilling, obviously, because you don't really know all of the horrible stuff that has happened to her. You can just sort of infer a lot of it. Um, but there is a sort of, like, matter-of-factness of, like, this is me being in prison with you losers is probably, like, the best time that I've had in, like, you know, 20 years. Um, yeah. which, which is true. And then the other one, her, like, the closest she comes to sort of, like, the moment is at the very end where she goes, I would rather you know, die with my friends than, um, because I spent my, the rest of my life, you know, living among my enemies. Um, and like, I would honestly, I would like the whole movie devoted to Gamora. Like I want this, this spinoff movie about just Gamora, but you know, yeah, she was, she was pretty <laughs> interesting than, than yeah. Peter Quill was. Uh, uh yeah. I, and Chris Pratt did a lovely job and he is very funny and charming. Um, but in I, such a role, it's hard to give him credit for much. 
It's such an easy role. I would have disagree, to... but okay. All right. <laughs> I know. I just like, I think that it is an easy role and I think it's very easy to play something like someone likable, but um, I think that like, I think that he did bring a depth to it. And I'm coming at it from like a totally biased point of view in the sense that I've loved Chris Pratt and other stuff. So that like, not just like in Parks and Rec, but like I loved his character in Moneyball as well. And like, he just, he has something. If you're going to be hipster about Chris Pratt, you have to go all the way back to Everwood or don't even bother to play the game. I was going to say, did you like him before he was mainstream? I'm not hipster about Chris Pratt. I'm just saying that like, my like particular love of him probably is like, super biased right like i'm like oh i loved him so much in this movie it wasn't just it wasn't just the role he's like so lovely and it's because like i've seen him in other stuff and i was like he's not just great as andy dwyer he was like great and all these like dramatic things too so i fully accept that like it's probably an easy role and he was like handed in on a silver platter but like i still loved him <laughs> well yeah and no and i think that you can love him and acknowledge that it was i mean of the two characters uh gamora would have been a better subject she would have been a more interesting movie for this to be about i mean it's just true so i mean but again a lot of this comes from my bias of the hatred the hatred of the uh mom dies of cancer for instant drama yeah and i have i have yeah i was gonna say and i have personal reasons for for disliking that uh my mother died of cancer and there's nothing cinematic about it and uh, I found that entire scene, I, I was just sitting there fuming uh, because that's not how people die. And when, when, sh- when movies like this do that kind of thing, I mean, I think this is one of the reasons why I kind of watched the movie, enjoyed it, and then kind of forgot about it was because it lost my interest right out the gate. Right. Uh, because of that scene. Because I was just like, you know what? You don't actually get to be an asshole to every single person you meet because your mom died of cancer. Because a lot of people's moms die of cancer. You're not yeah, special. It's hard because that's like the opening scene, right? And that ends up like telling <laughs> your entire perception of the movie. <laughs> told, and, and, and so many people have seen this movie who are good friends of mine. And, and it's not their fault at all, but nobody told me about this. So I came really? in. No, just, I, mm. I felt like I'd been slapped in the face with a fish. Um, so, so there's, so there's that kind of thing. And then also just kind of the, the, it was used as kind of an explanation or a reasoning behind the reason of Peter Quill being a kind of a jerk, a lovable jerk, but kind of a jerk. And then especially a jerk towards women, which I was like, what? That doesn't make sense though, in terms of... I mean, I feel like the way that I read it was that, like, he was a jerk because he was raised, like, by a crew of fucking assholes, right? Like, I, I think, like, see that enough of that. I think if we had seen that part of, like, the kidnapping and then, like, because for, it took me a really long time to figure out who exactly had kidnapped him and what had been going on, because that just, that part didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I don't know. I actually, I didn't have a problem following the plot, weirdly, even though I will, like, really, and I don't know why I didn't have a problem, because it is kind of convoluted, where you had a lot of, you had a lot of different parties operating in this entire plot, where you had Peter, who um, was raised by a bunch of, sort of, scavenger, I forget what they're actually called. Marauders? Yeah. Reaver, Rotters, um, and they were supposed to deliver him to his dad, question mark, question mark, question mark, when they abducted him, and then they didn't, and kept him, and so he never knew that he had a family, blah, 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 whatever. Um, and then you had, 
Thanos, who is the ultimate mastermind of everything bad guy. And then you had Lee Pace chewing all of the scenery and almost oh unrecognizably so blue. Uh, okay, can I say... We need to talk about him for a while. We do need to talk about him for a while. I did not recognize Lee Pace in that movie until literally the scene where he, like, just destroys all of those military ships that are, like, keeping his ship from hitting the planet. Because face blind and all of that makeup. I was literally, like, looking at everyone in the movie being like, which one is Lee Pace? I can't tell. I was about yeah. to say, that's not just your face blindness. I actually didn't realize until he started talking. Yeah, I recognized him almost immediately from, like, the quick half second you get of his face. Or maybe even his, like, his backside, probably. Who knows? Because um, <laughs> I have problems. And, hey, and like, Lee Pace is, like, so good. And I really, he's kind of making a career for himself lately for being, like, super yeah. overdramatic villain in all of these, like, major sci-fi fantasy, like, action franchises. Yeah. And it's really good for me. Like, really good for me. <laughs> Yeah, fingers crossed he, be, he plays a Sith Lord in the new Star Wars movies or something. That would be super amazing. I'm down for it. Anyway. <laughs> um, I think the villains were, like, the absolute weakest part of this movie, though. Yeah, but no, but so the plot, so you have, like, Thanos, and then you have Ronan, who has his own agenda, who's working for Thanos, and then you have Nebula and Gamora, who are Thanos' adopted daughters, but are he has loaned them out to Ronan, and so they have kind of different evil bad guy agendas, and then you have the Nova Corps, and then you yeah. have all of those things kind of coming together, and then, like, coming together in this giant plot thing. And so there's a lot of moving parts. Um, and then, you know, the, the MacGuffin of um, whatever the heck. What is it even called? <laughs> I can't even remember. It's, it's like the orb, but basically the orb. It's, it's the, the orb. Infinity which is one of the, one of the six Infinity Stones. Right. Yeah. It's 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 a cousin of the Tesseract and pretty much like Marvel is obviously going for Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet in terms of its overarching like MCU plotline. Um and this is another piece of it and how Guardians connects up with the rest of it ultimately. Which is kind of going to connect those two? Yeah, probably. Yeah, they are. It's how it how it connects up. Like in Thanos. I just, I just <laughs> want Steve Rogers to die in Avengers 2. You're the worst. I just he's want Tony I think, Stark. I, think he, I don't think he's going to die till Cap Three, but uh, you know, I would be okay. Like as long as he's dead, that's all I want. You're yes, such an asshole. Too. And I was about to say, and let's, let's let the viewers understand, unless they get the wrong idea. She wants him to die because she loves him a lot. Oh and my god, I love this so much. She wants the pain. She's basically going for torture porn right now. Yes. Yeah. I want him to, like, die right in front of, like, a newly rehabilitated Bucky. That would just be, like, the best. I yeah. hate you so no, much. No, basically, they kind of have to, like, Romeo and Juliet it in the, yes. uh, like, Baz Luhrmann sort of way. Where, like, you know how Baz Luhrmann twists the scene? Where other. she wakes up, and then and they, their eyes meet, and then... <laughs> And then he dies, and he has the most, his last thought before he dies is how he's, like, fucked it up, and that he shouldn't have done it. So good for me. So good. I hate so all of you. That's yeah. all I want. I didn't say anything. I just said what they wanted. It wasn't my fault. Although I will be really happy when that happens. Wow! No! <laughs> You're the worst. Um, back to Guardians. Move on. Anyway, yes. So, yeah. Yeah, but, and I actually, I really liked the idea of, um, one of, I mean, one of the reasons that I did like this movie quite a lot was, uh, and we, all four of us are huge suckers for the found family. Yeah. And the instant bonds and the 
we didn't like each other until about 20 minutes ago, but now we love each other and 12% of a plan and we're going to go for it and, you know, all of that stuff. And that was, I felt really well done in terms of, I don't know, I bought it. I mean, I really believed that, you know, these guys were going to argue for the rest of their lives, but they probably weren't going to leave each other. Yeah, right. I totally bought it. You know? And I thought yeah. that that was really good because, I mean, so many of them, like, I, I thought Drax was going to kill them all at several points. Oh, really? Um, I didn't I didn't think Drax had any motive. I mean, like, his, you mean by his idiocy or deliberately no, because he wanted just to kill by, them? just by, like, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm just going to crush you because you're annoying me, you know? He, oh, see, I, I didn't really think he was going to turn on them. I thought he was going to, like, do something dumb in the name of his, like, pig-headed well, yeah, yes, tunnel vision of revenge, and, then he and like in which he that does too. basically. He's but, a um, very convincing, <laughs> resting bitch face. I think. I will say, like the, the guy who played him, he has like a WWE career. That's his like background. Yeah. He's so funny. He plays. He's David perfect. Yeah, yeah he's he hilarious. is so great. And I think like it would have been very easy in like lesser hands for him that to like just not work at all or to fall really flat. And he was like, he played it really perfectly yeah. in terms of his obliviousness and other total lack of irony and uh, literalism. Well, okay. If we're going to talk about that, we have to talk about the whore line that is blowing up all over time. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I thought it was dumb. I thought it was kind of, I don't know, blurred lines dumb in that, I actually, this is a quick side trip. Uh, I heard Blurred Lines for the first time this summer, uh, and I thought it was an 80s song. And let me tell you, every Uh. single person there, including the women, including my uh, 15-year-old cousin, uh, yelled, you the hottest bitch in this place. No. Which is how I realized what song it was. That's awful. But but basically, my point being, it's such a shitty song. And such a throwaway song, why was it a big deal in the first place? But the the, the green whore line was such a throwaway thing that I didn't really yeah. think it would be a big deal. And then, yeah, I came I, home. I feel like it's one of those things where you can be like, within the context of this character and his permanent view about the world, it's it not sense. it's not unbelievable that he would think of her in those terms and not really see anything. I don't know. I guess you could... But, but it's ultimately just so, like, unnecessary, but whatever. I was going to say, and the point of him being, like, this hugely literal person who doesn't even understand the term going over your head. Right. You know, so he must think that she actually has sex for money. Right. And why would he think that that's a pejorative if he lives so literally and stuff like that? Because it would be yeah. like, well, of course, you know, it's yeah. it's, and a, it's a commodity. And do you like, and why it's ultimately be- setting up the joke of him being like, I can I can say this thing that is offensive that I don't even realize is offensive. But if you say anything about her, I'm going to blow your head off. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think that um, he could have used a different word and I would have been fine. It. Like, it, it's just like yeah. the joke unnecessary. Is, just call her something else, you right. know? Um, green murder like, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like as soon as as soon as that happened, and as soon as I saw it blow up on the internet, it made me think immediately of Avengers when Loki called yeah. Natasha a muling Quim, and like I was like, I got home from that movie, and I was like, why is no one fucking pissed off about this? Like he that literally was- just called her like a cunt on tell it like in a movie. Yeah. Like pretty much by in like an American perspective, literally the worst kind of like thing that you can call it yeah and like i'm like the i'm like the the first word scale it's the worst yeah and like i'm actually one of the people who i was like i don't really like cunt doesn't bother me in the in like certain contexts but like when you're calling a woman a cunt like that Mm -hmm. is 
the only lady in this film, basically. Yeah, like, that is very intentional. It's very targeted. It means something very specific, and it's fucking bad. Like, so I, I was like, the reaction that the green whore line has gotten is a reaction I thought was going to happen with Mule and Quim, but this really is more commentary on fucking Loki apologists than anything else. Sorry. Yeah, but yeah. Definitely. Well, I was, Loki I was it's Loki apologist, and then it's also Loki was the bad guy. The bad guy can say really horrible shit because that's how you show that he's a bad guy. But if Drax, you think that he's just misunderstood, then you have to somehow justify it or like whatever. Yeah. No, 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 I don't justify. It. I think. Oh, I know, but people think. No, no, no for people who like, yeah, yeah, think that like Loki was just like misunderstood or whatever. He wasn't. He was a fucking crazy person. Who's I was going to say, sorry guys, Loki's a mass murderer and an awful human, well not an awful human being, but an awful person. And, yep. uh, you know, you can like him as much as you want, but like a, like him as a villain. That's fine. Yeah, like him as a villain. Um, yeah. But no, I completely agree with you guys. Like that, also like, on top of anything else, that line felt really totally weird, right? Like, yeah. it just, yeah. it came out of nowhere. Like, it, it was completely bizarre. Like, and this is given the context of me, like, Drax wanting to kill Gamora. Totally makes sense to me. Like, if yep. she was yeah. part of, like, what ended up getting his wife and kids dead, and his whole thing is killing everything related to, like, um, I don't even know Lee Pace's yeah. name, so ki- killing everything related to Lee Ronin. Pace. Ronan. Um, yeah. Ronan. Somehow it just like was so odd, and that just like really brings me to the whole thing. Like, did nobody watching this movie, like in the original cuts when they still had time to like fucking change that in ADR or something, think like, you know what? Let's come up with a different phrase because it just sounds odd. Like, if nothing else in this movie, because I don't think it sounds odd to a lot of people. I think it sounds perfectly fine because I know a lot of people who use that word every day. Yeah, it or totally. Every day. Yeah, I think I think that is something that definitely a bit and then i feel like um the other thing that i keep seeing around is uh the i totally forgot you were here hoops yeah um peter to the adorable pink girl who was in his ship when he was like and almost got it crashed and died who is actually a major comic book character in yeah Island. Yes, which um, is hilarious. Ha-ha. And actually, it was, it was interesting because Sam H uh, wrote a post. I think she, I think she reviewed Guardians of the Galaxy on Hey, Don't Judge Me. I think, um, but then she wrote a, a quick Tumblr post that she she said very sarcastically. Obviously, she said, "Yeah, that was my favorite part because it was like James Gunn was speaking directly to me." Um, and <laughs> you know, it was snarky, and she I got think. a lot of shit for it for saying that, but. Yeah, it, it felt like a really weird line. Well, I think I think the, the humor in it was sort of supposed to be like he he's he's like he's fucked up this this you know, this theft. They're coming yeah. after him, they're trying to kill him, he's trying to escape in his ship and he's sort of like flailing around and the ship is banging all over the place and he gets caught on that um like water shooting out of the planet thing and like it's going all over and like you know he's on the ceiling and blah 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 and it's supposed to be funny because she doesn't realize that there's another human being in the ship that has been basically you know turned upside down like on a roller coaster ride ha 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 well he's just fucked this massive thing up um but it doesn't and it plays like that on, like, one level, but ultimately, it's like, oh, great, Space Kirk, this is just what I wanted. Yeah, yeah it's, like a, it's like a certain type of, like, frat boy humor that, like, I I hope we see less than, and I, the fact that we only see it, like, once in passing in this movie is probably already improvement on 
previous stuff like the whole the whole like playboy like rogue thing is starting to like go by the wayside i think and it's wearing very thin yeah it just doesn't read well anymore right like no like it's not that's not like the sign of a cool bro anymore yeah and i feel like like sort of like it it relates to me in terms of his character how um like the dead mom thing was a bit of an overreach and they the movie makes these sort of attempts at like trying to convince you that peter is some like space stud but like oh i totally forgot you were here whoops and it doesn't quite play off the way that at least for me that i think they intended it to and then that also line where um gamora's like i've heard about you and your sorcery (laughs) sorcery um and it's funny because pelvic sorcery is hilarious and Zoe Saldana is hilarious, but you like, you don't, you sort of also are kind of like rolling your eyes at it because like, why do you even have to establish that? Like, why is that a thing that needs to be like necessary in order for like this dude to be like, you know, the, the lead of this franchise? Like, why does he have to also be like banging a lot of ladies? Like, do you really even need that in there? Um, Not I don't think it's necessary. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, actually, this reminds me of, like, a post that's going around Tumblr recently that I was, like, actually kind of taken aback by because I had never considered this, where apparently there's, like, a lot of, like, sort of fanish headcanon that Han Solo is, like, a ladies' man, and, like, I love those, I love the Star Wars trilogy, and it never occurred to me that, like, he was picking up ladies left and right, because yeah. that dude is, like, a fucking hot mess of a human being, right? He like, just, he, he, hates, he hates too many people. To he hates like, way too many people. Like, his love, like, the love of his life before he meets Leia is, like, his, the Millennium Falcon, right? Like, mm-hmm. I never even, like, my mind was blown. I was like, do people think that, like, Han think, is, like, yeah. I, th- I think it's become, like, a sci-fi franchise thing like star wars um star trek like dude leading a ship with a lot of like you know an an exotic alien girl in every planet you know yeah Yeah, and it was just like it it never even occurred to me it never played into like my conception of him as like the coolest human alive um and so to see like this constantly being replicated is like really obnoxious yeah yeah, well, I feel like even, um, who was I talking to about? I Was I talking to, I don't know who I was talking about this. Um, was it you guys about Wrath of Khan? No, but it no. should I was talking been. to someone about Wrath of Khan recently, and they were saying what's interesting about it is um, part of the plot of Wrath of Khan is that you meet um, Kirk's son and his mother, um, who has been he was a big part of like ultimately like the plot of the movie in terms of the planet and everything that happens and um, so obviously like they slept together a long time ago and then she had a kid and like raised him separately and they never got married and um, the movie even though it's like Jim Kirk who is the origin of like the space stud um, you know uh, he it never treats her weird as though like they never got married and you never she's like a scientist and professional and that's sort of like his relationship with her is ultimately extremely is extremely respectful to the entire film and like the movie doesn't make any jokes at all about how like they banged once or like you know that you know she had a kid and blah 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 blah. it doesn't treat her in any way like some alien girl of the week or anything like that um even though you know they had a kid and it's Jim Kirk and the movie doesn't do that in a way that's really interesting that you would almost think it would because it's Jim Kirk and it's the seventies, but even Jim Kirk was not like that. You know what I mean? And it's unfortunate that I feel like that's sort of like the trope that has emerged from, from it. 
even when the original source material doesn't actually isn't even as bad about those issues. Yeah, well, I, I I completely agree, and yeah, I think I saw the same thing, crew, about uh, Han Solo, where because the the whole line of "I love you, I know" has always bothered yes. me, but I've never really thought about it before. It's and not that, right. Yeah, and the person not saying because he's a cocky uh, right? Yeah, and the, and the person who's talking about it was like, when he says "I know," he is saying it as an expression of concern and worry for her, and I never I'm about I to die. Since yeah, love me because was, I'm about to die. Really? So, yeah, exactly. In intro, I'm going to have to rewatch the Star Wars movies now. Um, we may need to do that together, guys. Yes. <laughs> but I well, like... I don't know. Bear and I tried real hard to watch We fell asleep. I don't know how far we got. Um, but back to Guardians of the Galaxy, though. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that, like, I... I think that I have to say, though, part of what's really interesting about this is that having discussed, like, the two human members of the team, um, or not the two human, the two, like, recognizably, like, male, or the three recognizably male or female, whatever, there's, like, all of these sort of, like, things that bog the plot down and, like, don't really work or whatever, but it brings me back to, like, why um, Rocket and Groot are so interesting, Mm -hmm. because they're not human, they're not, like, you don't have or recognizably, like, humanoid. And you don't have sort of these, like, weird political feelings about them. So, like, I feel like a lot of what they convey, like, the friendship, the fraught emotional stuff, like, all of that comes out uncomplicated by preconceived notions of how people express those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think also, um, going back to what Gus was saying about, you know, Peter as being the center of the movie, I think he does, regardless of what else you want to say about, like, missteps they might have made with his character, and I... I think also in terms of, like, the womanizing, Peter Quill in the comics is just, like, a big fucking weirdo who's, like, weird, you know? He's not... He doesn't have the same personality that uh, Peter in the movie does. Well, um, I say, even Peter in the movie pretty damn weird. I mean, he calls himself Star-Lord. Yeah. Like, he's, he's weird, but I think what, what he does bring is he's supposed to be the, the Earth of our time period, like, audience POV character, so that him being in this, like, essentially being picked up and dropped into what is essentially like kind of like a star Wars universe. Um, and he can go around and make like hilarious references about like, you know, don't quit poking me Ninja Turtle or like referring to rocket as like Ranger Rick, which was delightful to me because I love that magazine as a kid. Um, <laughs> you know, where he can make all these sort of like funny, like earth references that you as the audience get and like the humor in terms of like bringing you into this world via this, this person who started out where we were and then has been dropped into, you know, alien space sci-fi fun times um yeah and so his perspective on Rocket and Groot I think you kind of do need that in terms of like you know are you right you know he calls him a raccoon and he's like what the fuck's a raccoon like that's uh yeah that was me uh, ain't no thing like me except for me <laughs> yeah so great right and again you know you get you get back to the fact that you know Bradley Cooper has this kind of uh, vaguely jackassian quality now, thanks to The Hangover. And so he can pull off that kind of, I'm a fucking asshole who will, you know, break this bottle and, and shove it up your nose type of, I don't know, quality. Um, but in a raccoon, it's really cute. Yeah, and I mean, like, I also feel like uh, maybe this is just, like, way too, like, TMI for me. Like, uh, like you guys are a lot about my, like, mental status. But, like, I felt so deeply for him, like, in a weird oh. way, like, you, 
for all like they they never ex- like directly address it, but like when he t- when they're in that prison thing and you see the metal in his back, yeah, and he, he talks about how he's like garbage or whatever. It's just like everyone like treats me like vermin. She called me whatever. <laughs> yeah, like it's so awful and it's so like raw. Um, and I just like I like wanted to cry for him, and I did because I was like I'm gonna be strong. I'm not gonna cry. Little did I know. Yeah. And in the movie, the movie kind of like only shows you that it doesn't tell you it necessarily, yes. and I think that's what makes it even worse. You know, so effective. But and, I mean, and, I think go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say I think also like the uh, the way that he is rendered um, in CGI is actually really great, and there's a lot of like um, really adorable details that are done into her in terms of like um, visuals of him. Where there's that scene where he like toward the beginning where he wakes up and he's been sleeping so all of his fur is pressed flattened onto the yes. side of one side of his face because yes. he was sleeping on the one side and um and toward the end um when he's uh after like Groot has sacrificed himself and Drax comes over and pets him he has this sort of like cat kind of thing where his ears perk up and his tail does a little flick and they really did a good job of actually um animating him I guess mm-hmm. would be the right you know, verb for that oh my god um fragments of Groot was like the worst thing I've ever seen in my life like I was oh, just I just wanted to like lie down on the filth disgusting floor of the theater and just give it up I was just like this is the worst I was about to yeah. say that, that's probably the part that I actually teared up at. yeah well and I think so maybe like funny. to be honest I think like the, the sort of like a found family narrative they do it does happen very quickly and I think they they the movie is very like economical in the way that it kind of brings that entire plot line together um and part of it is definitely Rocket and Groot, who are sort of like the, I don't know, the major mechanism, I think, through which it actually manages to do that. They're really like the solid friendship in that movie. Like those guys are, those guys are solid. You can build around them. And they'll be absolutely fine. They are the Han and Chewie of the movie. Yes, essentially. <laughs> oh, they're absolutely the Han and Chewie. In fact, they're almost yeah. literally the Han and Chewie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, so good. But actually, if we're going to talk about Rocket, I think that we have to talk, it's a good jumping off point to talk about the humor and the pacing of this movie, because I think that Guardians does a thing that I haven't seen in a long time since, like, the classic Steven Spielberg, like, adventure action movie, which is that when something, like, in the midst of an already bad situation, make it worse, which is the entire premise of the Indiana Jones movies and why they're delightful, and nothing is better exemplified um, exemplifying that premise than, like, the prison scene, right? Like, oh, where the prison scene is so that. great. Oh, that's great. <laughs> of course. And, like, the humor inherent in that is always keeping your heroes on their, like, on, you know, off balance on their left foot. It's, like, so great and really, really, like, I really, really was, like, oh, man, this is, like, James Gunn, you took a lot from Steven Spielberg for this movie, and the pacing really benefits from it. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. And, I mean, like, and because it's so, like, rollicking and fun, it makes the inevitable, like, emotional low points where you're, like, miserable and unhappy even more powerful. Well, like, yeah. And and I think what, what it definitely does, and the reason why I think uh, it, there's also, I think, that, that moment where they're all deciding, like, that scene where they're all arguing about whether they should, like, even try to stop um, them from taking over the planet 
and save the galaxy essentially and they're having that argument and it's very like rapid fire all five of them like the really hilarious dialogue and um and then rocky goes you're asking us to die and there's just a beat and the movie just kind of lets it sit there and it doesn't try to like undercut it or you know make a joke out of it necessarily and it's coming from the voice of the most sarcastic character on the entire you know movie and you're like, yeah, and it does have a very kind of like matter of factness about like, you know, the thing, you know, the things, the job that they ultimately end up doing. And it doesn't really ascribe any sort of, I don't know, like, these are not like good people, you know, they're doing what they have to do <laughs> because they have to do it. And that's ultimately why they end up, you know, saving the galaxy. But none of the, like, there's no Steve Rogers in here. And like, part of like, hilarious mental experiment, like Steve Rogers meeting these five people, like, would be so fucking hilarious because these are, these are not the Steve Rogers you're looking for. Like, nobody's doing this because they know it's the right thing. They're doing it because they have to do it. And I think the sort of like matter of fact tone in terms of like this, the saving kind of goes with the humor because it's not, I don't know. It doesn't have, it, there's no virtue or anything that, that it's trying to like. Right. And it, I think that the part of this and that works goes all the way back to like die hard. Right. Like, yeah. it's like, the, like the, I don't want to do this. If someone else was capable and here right. and going to do it, I would sit the fuck back. But like, there's nobody else and I have to do this. And I think that really also feeds into yeah. it. This would be right. so retro in unexpected ways now that I think about right. it. Yeah. No, and, it, and I think it's it has the sort of also the self aware humor that is sort of like Derrick these days, and like you know, and he's you know, oh look, and now we're all standing in a circle. <laughs> Good. <laughs> now we yeah. can go save the galaxy because we all stood up in a circle and said something. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I was about to say that Let's was I was about to say, that was either a Michael Bay or even, like, a weirdly Buffy moment where I was just like, oh, yeah, okay, and then they all make quippy remarks, and now they go do the thing. Um, but one of the things that I really liked about this movie, and what I think Marvel does probably better than any other, well, nobody else is making superhero, you know, franchises like this right now, but in terms of, like, the genre is the sense of... Because, like, when that when that line ha- hit, I was like, oh, which one of them is going to die? I wasn't thinking, oh, you know, that's just cheap thing. I was like, it, it felt like a real risk. Um, right. Yeah. They, they tend, think, yeah, Marvel movies tend to kill people off a lot more easily, and I think that that's a good thing. Yeah, and I, and I also feel like, like because, again, you're coming to it with, like, most people are not coming to it with any expectations. Like, you don't know... You know, like, you don't know that, like, there's no, like, Batman where you know that he's going to be back for the next movie because he's Batman. You know, like, there was no, I don't know, as much as you don't have any expectations in terms of how good this movie's going to be, you also don't know, like, who is definitely not going to die because he has to come for the next one and, like, what the stakes are ultimately going to end up being. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and I think that the the, the whole kind of um, fact of the movie, you know, Letting Groot die and reviving Groot, kind of. Now, is that is the Groot in the pot Groot, or is that like Groot's kid? No, that is that is Groot. Um, okay. And actually, the in the comic books, something very similar happens to him, where he he sacrifices himself and then he becomes a cut, little tree cutting. Okay, wait. Then I have a question. Groot. When he gives that flower to that little girl, if she like plants it and takes care of it, will it also turn into a Groot? I don't think so, because it was a flower and not Groot. Okay, then follow-up question. A million pieces of Groot landed in that, like, explosion site. Could there be a forest of Groots? Yes, it could be, and should be. Because that's, like, my dream. 
Well, I, was, I feel I feel like probably no because it's just ultimately a stick on the ground. But like you know that that baby tree was put into a pot with the very best dirt money could buy, and it was given <laughs> the exact right amount of money of sunlight and water so that it would grow back up into being you know Groot again. <laughs> I was about to say, what do you want to bet? Like that the seedling thing wasn't doing very well until they like brought it into like the communal area, and then the little plant would be like the. <laughs> So there are actually, actually quite a few stories to that effect, which um, I was about to say. Speaking guys, of which, let's share, let's yes, let's share our final thoughts on this movie and um, some speculation on where we think the sequel is going to go and how it's going to tie back in. Um, I guess I'll go. Okay, so no one has any thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Zero thoughts. No. I mean, I think like there there are a few like little like issues with it, but ultimately this was a really fun movie. I don't know like if it was necessarily the most like memorable or whatever of all the Marvel films, but I had an extremely fun time uh, watching it, and I think it was ultimately extremely successful at doing what it was supposed to do. And um, as for where Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is headed, since they announced the sequel the week before it opened, I think, so that was already in the cards, um, I kind of hope that they just keep going with the found family narrative because everybody loves the good found family narrative. Um, it's, it's, it's our favorite for a reason, and um, I, would, I would sort of like to see um, them maybe going in, like, the Firefly sort of way of just sort of rolling through the universe in their ship, um, being dysfunctional and vaguely domestic and still being a bunch of dicks who, uh, I don't know, ultimately fall into doing something noble in spite of themselves, perhaps, except for Gamora because she actually compass. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, those are good thoughts. I would say that you guys have actually made me like this movie more. Um, so thank you very much for letting me be part of this podcast. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll see the sequel. I'm really interested to see how they're going to combine it with the rest of the Marvel universe, if they do, like in terms of crossover movies or what have you. Um, well, I know that like the, the Infinity Stones are definitely connecting the universes, but I kind of hope in terms of like, direct character crossover they don't really do that because i don't necessarily know if we need like a marvel the flintstones meet the jetsons with like the avengers meet the guardians of the galaxy and then all 11 of them or so hang out and save the world together because i feel like that would be a bit unwieldy and self-indulgent and probably stupid even though i would definitely watch it anyway (laughs) (laughs) i mean Unfortunately, I am at the point where if Marvel does the thing, Marvel has the money, and that is just the world that I live in. No, so, yeah. Good. I kind of, I'll admit it, I kind of just want the Avengers to meet the Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I want it. I'll watch it. I'll, I'll slap down 12 bucks. Yeah, I, I sort of want that invention. <laughs> yeah. Well, fan fiction would probably do it better. I just don't know if I yeah, want to read the fic. Yeah. Like, this movie well, didn't give sense. me any urge to read fan fiction. I loved it. I'll totally see it again when it's at the $5 theater. I just have no fanish urge. Like, maybe I'll read the comics. Yeah. Makes sense. 
Um, let's see. My final thoughts on this movie were that I was unexpectedly delighted. Like, I basically didn't know anything about this franchise at all. So when I went into it, I was sort of like, well, I'm going to see this because the previews look really funny, but I don't actually know whether or not I'll like it. It may be like a little too, it may be too out there for me. And I was just like unexpectedly pleased by like 98% of it. But I definitely came out of that movie being like, well, I now I'm like emotionally compromised by like a raccoon in a tree. So I don't know how I feel about that. Like as a human being. <laughs> Yeah, I would say your your Twitter feed right then was pretty entertaining. Yeah, I was like, I was, I was like, oh my god, he's the best tree. But also, I literally just typed in, oh my god, he's the best tree into the internet, which makes me worry about like myself as a human and the choices that I've made and like the life that I lead and all sorts of other things. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm gonna be very curious to see also how they decide to tie it in with the larger MCU. Um, and I think that I I would love to see the Avengers meet these a-holes, but, like, I really only want it in fan fiction for some reason. Because I don't think that, like, I don't think that they would be able to do it justice the way I want them to do it in a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. guess. I agree. I think, yeah, it, it would, yeah, I think it would be a bit, it has a tendency, I feel like, unless you're really have a lot of like a really strong grasp of I don't know character driven humor like I don't know it it could be just too much there's like 11 different people to do yeah exactly (laughs) like that's a lot that's a lot of balls in the air yeah (laughs) yeah it is (laughs) I knew somebody was gonna say that and of course it was you and like (laughs) somebody had to do it I jumped on that grenade (laughs) thank you MK you are as ever an inspiration to us all thank you Steve Rogers um okay well i think i think that we've really exhausted this topic it was a fun discussion let's wrap us up by doing recs in case anybody has them do they i don't have any no mayor do you guys know about film critic hulk have you heard about film critic hulk yeah um film critic hulk or is a film crit hulk excuse me is um, basically if Hulk wrote movie reviews and did a lot of interesting like film meta and things like that, only it's the Hulk typing in all caps. Um, <laughs> and it's pretty, like, the entire project is is really, like, generally delightful anyway. Um, and Film Crit Hulk did a post about Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's basically all about the sort of um, delving down from a writing perspective mostly about the construction of the humor in the film and um, ultimately what the film achieves and how it's actually extremely difficult to do that and how it uh, um, mostly like in praise of the way that the movie does all of the humor and kind of breaking a lot of the stuff down and like what makes it funny and why it's actually a lot harder to do that than you would think. And, um, and it also ultimately kind of like reaches a conclusion which I feel like it's extremely valid where um the general idea in terms of like oh this is really well written and um but not really sort of giving the same sort of uh value to humor um as to something more serious and complex um because humor is funny and kind of easily dismissed and and ultimately like the 
the Hulk believes that, you know, it's a lot harder to do that than you would think. And it deserves a lot of praise when you get it right, which ultimately he feels like uh, they do in this film. Um, so it was, it was like, it was kind of interesting in terms of like, just in terms of humor writing from a pure meta level. And then it's also really hilarious because it's film crit Hulk typing in all caps about it. So <laughs> um, I would super recommend that. And uh, the only other like fic I have is something I stole from Prue's pen board. So I'm assuming she's going to talk about it anyway. I, I will. Stop tapping your door. Uh, I'm um, sorry. I'm doing writing things. <laughs> As anybody who writes ever knows, writing funny stuff is probably, like, the hardest thing ever. So I totally give 100% double thumbs up to this movie for pulling it off. Yeah, um, and, it, and character-based humor and why, like, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, no, 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 totally. Um, I do have two story recommendations um, for anyone who's curious I do not ship anyone in this movie. I don't, like, I don't want any of these people. No one should phone. Can we yeah. also take a moment to talk briefly about how, like, the, the movie's, like, flirtation with Peter and Gamora, I was literally like, ugh, do we have to? Like, right. why? Stop checking this box. Nobody wants this box checked. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, yes, agreed. I definitely don't want anyone to fuck in this movie, but, like, dear people who are writing tree slash raccoon smut, you know who you are. You, you look at yourselves and think deeply about <laughs> if this is the way you want your life to be going. That's all I'm saying on the subject. I do have two recommendations. They're both Jen stories, though. Um, my first one is, It Takes Two Thieves, a Maniac, and an Assassin by Eclectic Goddess. Um, it's basically like a lot of found family fic. Is, it seems like the first wave and possibly the only wave of Guardians of the Galaxy fic. And it's really delightful and as I mean like as can be implied by my like overly deep relationship with like the we are Groot situation um this is a story about uh the entire Guardians crew sort of taking care of Groot who used to be like infallible and unbreakable and now is like really small and needs like needs a certain level of tender loving care and that makes them treat him in a different way and treat each other in a different way it is super charming. It is really good. I recommend everyone enjoy it. It's short, it's too. It's so cute. I'm so happy that. It's so adorable. The other it's story. It's the best tree. It's the best tree. The second story that I'm recommending is called Rude Song by In Love With Night. And it's a really, really wonderful story um, about Gamora, like, you know, apparently having some gardening experience because she recognizes that as Groot grows, he's going to outgrow his tiny little pot. And um, it's a story about them finding, like, the right, them going to extraordinary lengths to find the best way for Groot to get healthy and grow up and be strong and be big. And it's just lovely. It's just so fucking lovely. And it's happy. And I think everyone should read it. I think everyone should be happy. And uh, Groot is the best tree. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's a good note to end on. Groot is the best tree. Is is if you have no other takeaways from this movie or this podcast, please let it be. Groot is the best tree. He is. <laughs> yes, agree. I will I, also I, say, anytime somebody now posts like arty photos of trees on Tumblr, I'm just going to reblog it tagged "I am Groot" <laughs> and just leave it be. That's the new rule. Yeah. There was also I will, I also have to say that like Tumblr has been really good with the Groot fan art and uh keep keep on doing your thing, Tumblr and Groot fan art. Yep. Um super delightful, like the one where Groot meets um uh Treebeard from the Lord of the Rings franchise. 
And he's like, what are you? Are you an endling? And Groot goes, predictably, I am Groot. And you're like, it's a big tree. And I'm like, Groot tree and tree. Yeah. High pitched noise that just says tree really loud. Yes. That's it. We're fucking idiots at this point as a result of this movie. There's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. I was about to say, we've been talking for a long time. We have. We have yeah. talked for a really long time. Okay. Um, I think that does us for this week. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks for having Guardians of the Galaxy feelings with us. Um, if you miss us during the week, you can find us at Slash Report on Twitter and Tumblr, even though we don't post anything there. If you're looking for us individually, I am at Often Imprudent. M. Klutz is at... Moon Klutz. Uh, Lepagus is at... Lepagus. And Mare is at... Uh, Mare, M-E-R-E, underscore, L-Y-N. <laughs> and, and, uh, make it hard. Or on yeah. Tumblr at just Marilyn, M-E-R-E, L-Y-N, one word. Yeah. That Tumblr. Dot. You guys have to want it if you want to find me. <laughs> don't, don't follow me. Why bother? Just don't. All you have to do is look at the people who comment on Slash Report and call them, you know, dickheads. And it's us, usually, saying something right. snarky. So, indeed, indeed. Um, and that wraps us up for this. Wraps us up for this week. Thanks for hanging out, and we will catch you on the flip side. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.